Hello everyone, welcome to Langstaff Assembly Podcast. My name is Yanaili Joyce and I'm your host for this episode. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you and that it draws you near to God. All right, we're going to read in Matthew chapter 4. uh, You can all see and hear me okay online. And uh, we're going to read a bit about our great high priest and how uh, wonderful it is to be able to call him that. What an amazing blessing it is. So, uh, Matthew chapter 4, we'll just read uh, the section, the temptation, temptations of our Lord. Then Jesus, in verse 1, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to a holy city, to the holy city, and said, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You know, I read this uh, passage again. I know I've read it many times, but a few months ago I read it, and uh, I got thinking about it, and, you know, it raised a lot of questions in my mind uh, about the temptations, and this time. In the Lord's life. And, uh, you know, as I explored these questions more and I started to search it out and to think about it, you know, it also it really raised my appreciation of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he went through for us coming into this world. And we often think about his suffering at the cross, but we don't always think about the suffering that he went through while he was here walking and teaching and being with a sinful fallen creation. And, uh, you know, I hope today that I'll be able to just express uh, a little bit about uh, what he went through in these in this time in the wilderness. And uh, I hope that it will increase your appreciation for our Lord as well. So I'm going to go through a few questions that, that came to my mind. And the first one was really, why did the Lord go through this time of temptation? You know, it says in verse 1 that he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know, obviously this was part of God's plan for the Lord that he would go through this time. And uh, and I wanted to know why that is. Now, I think uh, this is a bit of an easy question to answer, partly because we're given some rationale as to why in Hebrews. So if you want to turn, you can turn, or you can just listen to Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, verse 15, I'll read from 14 just for connection. It says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help to help in the time of need. So, you know, it's amazing that the Lord would go through this this time of temptation and trial for us so that he would be able to sympathize with us in our weakness, in our frailty. And, you know, he, he experienced the same emotions that we experience, hope and fear and, and joy and pain and sorrow and grief. And uh, it is so comforting to know that we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us when we go through those times of difficulty. You know, I was looking at other reasons why the Lord went through this, and I, I kind of think that he uh, went through this in a way to set history right. You know, you can look back, and you can see a lot of similarities here between what the Lord went through and the way Satan came in and approached Adam and Eve in the garden. And, uh, you know, I just... <sighs> wrote down a few parallels and in contrast between Adam and Eve in the garden and the Lord Jesus Christ in the desert. First of all, that is a big contrast of where they were. You know, Adam and Eve were in a garden full of plenty, full of everything that they needed. They were not hungry. They were not in need of anything. And yet Satan comes in and is able to tempt them to disobey God with fruit that is pleasing to the eye. And contrast that with the Lord, where he is in the desert. He has nothing, nothing around him. And he is hungry, and he's been there 40 days without eating. And this is where the Lord is able to withstand the temptation. The second piece is that Adam and Eve had each other. You know, I don't know about you, but when temptations come, it seems like it's much more difficult to withstand when you're by yourself and alone. And Adam had each other in the Lord, he was alone. It was just him there to withstand these temptations. But the Lord did, uh, and this is where you start seeing some, some differences, where Eve misquotes God's word, the Lord quotes it exactly. And he knows what it means. And so that's a big advantage that the Lord had over Adam and Eve. And Eve was deceived, and of course we know the Lord could not be deceived, and he stood firm in his faith, in his uh, trust in God, his Father. And so, you know, when when temptations come in, and, uh, you know, when Eve, you looked at what she was tempted by, she looked at it and said that she was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes and something that would make one wise. And these were the lies that Eve believed. The Lord would not believe any lies that would come from the Satan, as we'll see. You know, so that's sort of one one point in history that the Lord, I think, sets straight and shows what should have been done and what could have been done and what God wanted from people. Similarly, you look at the children of Israel, and as they spent 40 years in the wilderness, and how should they have acted? How should they have have lived and what God wanted from them. You know, you don't read 
It's not too long as they entered into the wilderness. So what do you read about? Grumbling, complaining, and falling away from God, worshiping a golden calf. And so God, and so the Lord here is again showing that uh, that He, how you can withstand temptation and not be drawn away from God. You know, it's interesting when you look at it. You know, you look back at chapter three in Matthew, and where is the Lord coming from? He is coming from baptism. And where was baptism ha- happening? John the Baptist had gone to the Jordan River, and if you go way back. So when the children of Israel left the wilderness and came into the promised land, they crossed through the Jordan River. And there they made a memorial. And they said that they would remember what God has brought them through. And they would remember and they would always serve their God. Those were the commitments and the promises they made. And of course, we know throughout the history of Israel as a nation that again, they could not do that. And so John the Baptist, when you think about what he was doing there, baptizing people, telling them to repent, was literally telling them back to come back, come back to the Jordan River where you started from, and again, repent and start over, start fresh, because the king is coming. And he was calling people back, and that is where we see the Lord baptized and coming out of that Jordan River, and now he's going into the wilderness, and he's going to be tempted and show that he is unlike the children of Israel back in the days they were in the wilderness. He was going to be able to stay, remain faithful to God, and do what was right. So those were a few thoughts I have on why the Lord went through this. And uh, now I want to look at these temptations. Why do you think Satan chose these temptations? It's kind of interesting when you think, sit back and think about these temptations that you know Satan would have had a lot of time to think about how he was going to tempt the Lord here in the wilderness, and he landed on these three temptations. And I guess, first of all, what are temptations? You know, when when we read in, in James, it says that when we are lured and enticed by our own desire, then when it is conceived, it is full grown, it becomes, it turns into sin. You know, that is, that is the idea behind temptation. It's something that we have a natural desire for, that Satan come in and tempt us with. Now, I don't know, you younger ones, this might be someone online today as well, but uh, I don't know if you've recently watched the, the Lion King, but there's a great example of this in that in that movie. And uh, it's it starts when little young lion cub Simba is uh, is looking out over the land, and his father, the great Lion King, had just told him that one day all of this all of this, everything that he could see would be his. And so Simba is there looking out over it again after his father had left, and his uncle, Scar, comes along. And Scar is the villain of this particular story. And Simba excitedly and naively says, look at all this, Uncle Scar. This is all going to be mine one day. And Scar brings in, oh, did your dad say this was all going to be yours? He's like, yes, all, except for that area over in the Shadowlands there below the mountains. I'm not to go there. And Scar says, oh, that's very true. You do not want to go there. That is an elephant graveyard. And you see the little young lion Simba, cubs ears perk up. An elephant graveyard, he says. Yes, yes, we don't want to go there with all those elephant bones and oozing mud. And you just see Simba's interest and curiosity peaked. And uh, 
And the whole time, Scar is trying to encourage Simba, but subtly encourage him by saying, you don't want to go there, but then talking about all the cool and interesting things that are there. And sure enough, it's enough to for Simba to go on and go out that day and explore this elephant graveyard. And of course, he gets into all kinds of trouble, and his father has to come and rescue him and save him from that situation. And that is a great example of how temptations work. It looks like something that appeals to our inner desires, but quickly it turns out that we are in a very bad situation and we need to be rescued. And so we should be on the lookout for those things and we should try to avoid them. And uh, as we see what the Lord has done here in this passage. And so that's that's a little thought about temptation. So let's look with that in mind of what Satan tries to tempt the Lord with. So in verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You know, first of all, I just want to point out the little subtle doubt that I think Satan tries to plant here, even with the Lord. You know, it's that word if. And I know some some think that could mean since since you are the Son of God, but I'm not so sure. I kind of think it's really Satan is pointing a little bit of doubt to say, if you are the Son of God. And there's a couple of reasons I think that. When you think back, look at the end of chapter 3. What is the last thing the Lord hears from God his Father? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then 40 days go by of not eating, no food in the wilderness, and we find the Lord here. And I think Satan tries to use this opportunity to say, did God really say you were his son? Did that really happen? You know, think back to Adam and Eve, right? This is kind of Satan's MO here. You know, what does he say to Eve when he comes into the garden? Did God really say you should not eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden? Of course, he says, no, no, you can eat any of the trees, just not eat or touch tree of that tree over there, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I think he uses the same thing here. If you are the Son of God, subtly trying to sow that little seed of doubt into the Lord, to the Lord's mind. He, uh, But then he goes on to say, if you are, then turn these stones into bread. Now what would have been so wrong with the Lord turning a few stones into bread? We all know that he could do it. Right, he had the power to be able to do it. We saw he he used five loaves of bread and, and fed 5,000 people with them. So what would have been so wrong about doing that right here and now? He was hungry. He hadn't eaten for many days. What would have been so wrong if the Lord had just turned a few? It wasn't like Satan was asking him, like, we'll see later on, to do something in return for it. He just says, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. I kind of think that... <clears throat> What Satan was trying to get to here was the Lord to take his dependence off of God and even depended on himself. Even though he was God, the Lord still depended on God, his Father, every day of his life. And he, the Lord brings this out. He says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So our Lord was going to be committed and focused on depending on God's words to sustain him. That's what he was going to put his trust in and faith in each and every day. And he wasn't going to 
depart from that and do things for himself. He was going to wait on his father and do and trust in his father. So I think that's that's really the first temptation. That Satan was trying to get the Lord to stop depending on his father and start doing things for himself. Temptation number two. I don't know. This one to me is a bit of, I don't know, a bit of a head scratcher. You know, you kind of of all the things you can tempt the Lord to do, why bring him up to the top of the temple and say, eh, cast yourself down? <laughs> it's uh you know, a strange one. But I kind of think there's a couple of angles that the Satan was trying to use here. First of all, you know, the Lord had just quoted back to him scripture in the first temptation. And so it's like, okay, you want to quote scripture to me? I can quote scripture to you too. And Satan tries to use scripture, but of course, use it in a way that was not intended. And so he quotes in Psalm 91, from Psalm 91, and he says, if you are the Son of God again, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But to willfully, you know, throw yourself down into a place that would require some miraculous action from, from God above, that is not what is intended when God... Uh, when God said these words back through David in the Psalms. You know, it wasn't like you should recklessly just throw away your life and trust that God's going to rescue you. You know, that's a really what that is, is showing that you don't trust God. And I think that, again, is what Satan is after here, is that if you really trust God, then prove it. Throw yourself down and prove that God can be trusted. And whenever you start to tell someone that you need them to prove something to you so that you can trust them, it kind of shows that you really don't trust them. You know, you think about in business, if you want to go and buy a business, what's the first thing you're going to ask for? I'd like to see your financials before I decide whether I'm going to fully buy. And why do people do that? You know, the, the owner of that business can say, no, trust me, everything is rock solid. We are, you know, 100% legit. There's no issues here whatsoever. Yeah, I'm going to need to see your financials. You know, it's much you're willing to invest into that business. You're not just going to take one person's word for what's there. You want to want to see it for yourself. Right? And so you need that because you don't have 100% trust in that person. And again, I think that's what Satan is after here to show, to try to get the Lord to prove. And that's how the Lord responds to this, this temptation. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The Lord sees right through what Satan's trying to do, and he knows, no, you're not going to put, you don't put the Lord your God to the to the test. You put your trust in the Lord your God, and he will sustain you, and he will be there for you. So I think uh, that is the idea behind temptation number two. I also kind of wonder, and this kind of leads into the third one, you know, is is Satan trying to get the Lord to reveal himself? before his time. And I wonder if Satan knows kind of where the Lord is going at some point. And he's trying to give him an alternate pathway. And you kind of see that definitely in the next temptation. But it's kind of like if the Lord were to throw himself down, I think that would have been a visible sign. And if angels had come and lifted him up, I think people would have seen that at the temple. I think people in Jerusalem would have seen the Lord throwing himself down and be lifted up 
uh, by angels. And it would have been a way for the Lord to reveal who he really was to the people, but it was not his time. It was not keeping with what the scriptures say. You know, you read this again um, later on when the Lord is in the garden and, and uh, you know, Peter takes out a sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest and defense of the Lord. And the Lord says this, the Lord says he could have appealed to his father to call 12 legions of angels to his side. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? I think the Lord was committed to ensuring that the scriptures were going to be fulfilled through him in every way. And for him to reveal himself at this point, the scriptures would not have been fulfilled. And so I think that's another aspect to this. And so then that leads us to the third uh, temptation. And it says this, that the devil again takes him to a very high mountain this time and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure if thus all the kingdoms of the world were Satan's to give to the Lord anyway. But, you know, I think what Satan's doing here is Offering the Lord an easier path. You know, almost like saying, you don't need to go through, you don't need to go on to the cross and go through all this suffering. You can have this right now. And sometimes that's a lot like temptations we have today. Like there's a shortcut way that you can take, that you can get what you want right now. And I can give it to you. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And I think this was, you know, the greatest temptation that the Lord Face. You know, I think sometimes I think hearing Satan say, fall down and worship me was like Satan going over the edge. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where you've kind of crossed the line and you've realized you've crossed the line. Uh, <laughs> I remember growing up with an older brother who was six years older than me. And and uh, I'd be really angry. I remember particularly one time we were really angry with each other. And uh, I had this like plastic battery charger thing and I just like threw it as hard as I could right in the side of his head. And it like fell all apart. And the look he gave me was just one of like, okay, I know I've done wrong. I'm out. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run away now. And uh, I've crossed the line. And I think, I wonder if Satan didn't get a similar look like that from the Lord when he said this. And the Lord, you know, replies to him, you know, we read this like, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship the Lord. I don't think it was that. I think, I don't know, maybe this is me dramatizing this too much, but I think it's be gone, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I can just see the fire in the Lord's eyes that Satan would have the audacity to tempt him to bow down and worship him. And the Lord tells him to be gone. And what an amazing thing. Uh, almost like, you wonder if it's like the last ounce of strength that the Lord has after 40 days of not eating and being tempted through these things. And, uh, you know, you know, throughout the rest of the Lord's life, you know, it's interesting just to go through and kind of read of the different times when the Lord was given an opportunity to take a different path than going to the cross. You know, there's times when people wanted to lift him up as king, and he would walk through their midst. It was not his time. There were times when they wanted to throw him off a cliff, and he would walk through their midst. That was not the death he was going to go through. There was time when he would set his face towards Jerusalem and say that he was going to go there. He knew 
what awaited him. He was going to go to the cross. The scriptures would be fulfilled. So, you know, I hope that that helps. Uh, those are sort of the main questions that I had about about uh, these temptations and why Satan chose these ones. First of all, you know, stones to bread. You know, the temptation to turn stones into bread was to stop depending on God to meet your needs and do things for yourself. Number two is cast yourself down and prove that God can be trusted. And number three was worship me. Really. And uh, that was to really disobey God and take an easier path, or it looks least to be an easier path. You know, a few more questions sort of percolated in my mind as I, I looked over this passage. The first one, or the next one, was really, why don't we read of the Lord ever praying? You know, both in Matthew and in Luke, we don't hear, it's not written that the Lord prayed. We read about the Lord going off and praying often. And this, these two passages, we don't actually read that. And uh, I think, I think, well, first of all, I think that it's clear that the Lord would have prayed during these 40 days. Uh, you know, fasting and prayer is very much tied together, and you don't go and fast without devoting yourself to prayer. So I think the Lord definitely prayed during this time. But I think that we don't read about, and it's not written about from Matthew or, or Luke, because I think, again, it's emphasizing that the Lord was alone. And again, contrast and shows how much greater he was as the second Adam than the first Adam. You know, when Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden, he didn't come in the cool of the day when he knew the, the Lord God would be there with walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. He came when the God was gone, wasn't around. And that's where we find him again with the Lord Jesus here in the, in the wilderness. The Lord is alone. So that's just a little thought on, on why we don't read about the Lord praying. You know, some have even questioned... Did this actually happen? Was this really a true story, or was this sort of like an allegory or a metaphor for the struggle in the Lord's mind as he was going through? And I think, you know, I think that uh, when three of the gospel writers write about the Lord going into the wilderness being tested, I think we can have confidence and trust that this was actually a real story, a thing that actually happened to the Lord, that he went out for 40 days and he experienced these things. But it does raise a question about how did... Matthew, Mark, and Luke know about it. You know, it was just the Lord and Satan. There's only two people in this in this story. And uh, I guess I'll go out on a limb. And there was one thing I read that I thought I, I thought was quite quite good, and I enjoyed it. And it's all speculation, but uh, bear with me and and go along. But I kind of wonder if you know when the disciples were were gathered around some evening somewhere around campfire and being there with the Lord's, if they didn't come to him and ask them. Ask the Lord, now how do you deal with temptation? We have the hardest time. We struggle with temptations a lot. And I wonder if that's when the Lord took the time to tell them about this story. And I think it was enough of a epic story that three of them all made sure to mention it in their gospel. And, uh, and I think the Lord told it to them to help them. And so we have it written down for us to help us. And that kind of leads to my last question. Is this experience of that the Lord went through really relatable to us? Is it something that we can kind of enter into? You know, keep in mind that, you know, this was the Lord Jesus Christ that was being tempted here. This was someone that did no sin, knew no sin, and in him was no sin. So in action, in thought, and in his very nature, had no sin, was not a sinner. 
and very much unlike you and I here. Obviously, we have this sin nature within us, and it's very difficult at times for us to resist uh, that that sin nature. You know, like when Paul writes about that, that I would do that I do not, and that that I do not would not do that is what I do. I'll worship man that I am. And we can often feel like that. And so is this story really something that can help us, knowing that the Lord didn't have that sin nature within him? Well, you know, I think, first of all, I think that we should be very clear that this is something that was a great suffering to the Lord to go through. You know, if you go back to Hebrews, again, in Hebrews chapter 2 at the very end, in verse 18, it says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's a, an amazing verse. Just being tempted brought suffering to our Lord Jesus Christ. And you think about, you know, just think about yourself for 40 days not eating any food. Just that alone. You know, you, I tried to look up how long, long you can go without food. You know, it's pretty clear you can go about three days without water and then your body shuts down. It's less clear about how long you can go without food, it turns out. Um, there's not a lot of studies on it because it's a bit unethical to uh, ask people to go without food. But, uh, you know, what they've gathered from people that have done hunger strikes and, uh, and different things like that and been in prison without food, they say it's about, depending on the person and how much water they have access to and that sort of thing, but they say around 45 to 60 days to where your body will start shutting down without food. And just think about the Lord's at 40 days here. And then add on top of that, the suffering of being tempted by sin, being tempted by the Satan himself. And uh, what I don't think we, we appreciate just how difficult an experience that was for the Lord. And so sometimes we can sit there and think, the Lord really doesn't know what I'm going through and my own struggles with the sin and temptation. I don't think we understand what he went through with his temptations here in the wilderness. And uh, and it's amazing. It's an amazing thing to think uh, of what he was willing to the extent that he was willing to go through, so that uh, we could have a great high priest that is able to enter in and to sympathize with us in our weakness and in our in our suffering. And so I think it was a very difficult and extremely difficult time uh, for the Lord here in the wilderness. And you know, it's interesting that if we read that. Angels came and tended to him, ministered to him, cared for him at the end of this 40 days. You know, the only other time that we read about that is when the Lord's in the garden. And he is like sweating out, as it were, great drops of blood. And in, in, in the garden, it says he was nigh unto death. And angels came and cared for him there. And it makes me wonder, how close really was the Lord to dying here in the wilderness? He needed angels coming to care for him and taking care of him in this extreme situation. So I think, uh, yeah, I think my appreciation, that's really what has driven a lot of my appreciation for our Lord, that he was willing to go through this whole experience there in the wilderness for 40 days so that he could enter into our difficulties, our struggles, and our weaknesses and sympathize with us. You know, it's at this point in my message that... Um, you know, I would love to be able to share, uh, you know, some tangible things, you know, some foolproof way for us that we can not succumb to temptation. You know, like give you like three steps to do these things and 
you'll never give in to temptation. And uh, I wish I had that for myself, but I don't. Um, you know, I think we can all look into this this section. I think we should look into this story and take out things for ourselves. And I'll give you a hint. Knowing scripture seems to be very, very, very important and being having it there with us. You know, it's great to know that we have a great high priest who is with us and we can be encouraged and comforted with that. Uh, but it's going to be a struggle. I think no matter what you do, no matter who you are, it's going to be a struggle and at times to resist temptation. And so we can all pray for each other that, that we will not uh, be tempted and fall away from the way the Lord has directed us to go. But, you know, I want to leave you with another kind of encouragement. And, uh, you know, I think it's important for us to not give up, not just sort of throw up our hands and say, you know what, I can't do it. I can't, I can't follow along. I can't be the way the Lord was. Just, you know, I'm not even going to try. I think it's important for us to continue to strive towards being like our Lord. And, uh, you know, I'll say it first that, you know, before I get into a little example that I, I heard about this week from the Olympics, and I don't want to sort of equate people's struggles in an athletic competition with our struggles in our Christian life, but I think there is something really uh, great that, that I've been encouraged by and inspired by as I, I, uh, I watched um, an Olympic athlete uh, fall. And, you know, we don't want to ever fall in our Christian life, you know, because it hurts. And sometimes it can hurt a lot when we fall. But there will be times when we will fall down in our Christian lives. And uh, it's sometimes a question of what do we do when we do fall. And uh, thankfully, we have a wonderful, great high priest. But I wanted to read uh, and tell you about this Olympic athlete. Her name was uh, Justine Dupour Lapointe. I don't know if anybody have any of you saw her. I think it was last weekend. She was a mogulist uh, for Canada and uh, was one of the top mogulists in the world. And uh, moguls is where you go down and, you know, I don't know how anybody has any knees left after this sport, but you go through the little bumps in the uh, in the ski hill on a pretty steep steep angle. And there's a couple of jumps that you got to do. You do flips and spins and all these things that I would break my neck trying to do. But... This uh, this woman, this young woman, uh, Justine, was top of the world and expected to finish in the medals, if not getting gold. And she goes down her last run for the for the gold and uh, gets to the first jump and does great flips, lands it, but she lands it a little bit too far to the left of where she should have. And instead of hitting the side of the next mogul, the next bump of snow, she uh, she hits it almost head on. And completely crashes out and just lands hard. And you can tell, like, you can tell when it hurts. And uh, and it looked like it hurt when she went down. And, uh, you know, she laid down there and the announcers were like, I'm not sure if she's getting up. I'm not sure what's happening. But a couple, few seconds go by and she begins to pull herself up. And she begins to put her skis back on. And she asks for someone to help her get her pole down from wherever it was way up the hill. And uh, they bring a pole to her, and she gets on, and she goes, and she finishes her race. And she goes down, the rest of the mogul hits the second jump, does a backflip, which apparently is pretty, 
not that exciting, but it looks pretty exciting to me still. But still managed to do a backflip and go down the rest of the hill and gets to the bottom and finishes off her race. And later on, I was really impressed by what she had to say. And I'll just leave you with this. It says, she said when she was asked, like, why did you finish the race? And she said, I had to finish this Olympic dream on my two feet and make sure everyone who is going to watch tonight knows that over the winning, over the bad days like this, the only thing that is important is to never give up. Never give up, she said. She goes on to say, today, not giving up was my only choice. To stay up and keep skiing, though it was painful. Life is not always so easy. But I just want to make sure everyone at home knows that I never gave up. I fight those last, those past four years so hard to give you that Justine, who is willing to take a risk and ski with fire and dignity. That's the only thing I did tonight. I fight and I never give up. And uh, I think, you know, just uh, encouragement to us to continue on. You know, if we fall down, continue on. The Lord is there. He is faithful and just to forgive us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us for our sin. He is with us, and we can trust Him. We can do our best to, to not fall, but if we do, we can continue on in our Christian walk and keep going and trust in Him. And, uh, you know, we have something that's far greater than to rely on than our training, than, than doing, you know, uh, Olympic training and all these moguls. She must have done this probably thousands of times over the last four years these kinds of runs, we have something far greater than that to rely on, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can rely on Him. You know, the last thing that I really enjoyed from her her interview was at the end, and this is something that I think is really unique to, uh, to her and her situation. When she got down to the bottom, he saw another athlete from Canada come over and give her a big hug. And, uh, and they cried. And that turns out that was her sister. And uh, her sister was also, uh, most, like, everybody's family had to stay home because of COVID and couldn't be over in Beijing. But her sister was able to be there because she was also a mobilist and also competing in the same competition. So she had already gone down earlier, and she was right there at the finish line. And she had gone over and was giving her a hug. And and Justine said this about her sister. So my my sister at first had to hold me and carry me for a while. I had to cry. I had to let it out because it's a pain. But on the other hand, she told me I have another choice. to Stay calm and go talk to you guys to make sure I have the right things to say to speak with my heart. And you know, if we see it, a brother or sister close to us um, that may have fallen in their, in their Christian walk. Now, I, I, I kind of uh, have a difficult time sometimes, sometimes. You don't know what to say or what to do. Sometimes you just want to, I'm a fixer, so I like to just launch right into like what you got to do. Let's, and sometimes someone just needs to be held and needs to be carried for a while. And so just an encouragement that maybe we can help carry each other at times when we need it in our Christian life. And, uh, and then, you know, that's what I got out of this, that her sister was wise enough to hold her and carry her for a while, but also to give her some advice on how to move forward. And uh, so she was able to accept it for that. So just a little bit of encouragement, a little inspiration from from Justine, and uh, as an Olympic athlete who who fell and who uh, who was able to continue on and keep going. And you know what? Um, I've watched the Olympics for many years now, and you quickly forget who wins what medal 
but oftentimes it's stories like this that stay with you and you remember for a long time. So I hope that my little talk this morning will help increase, first of all, your appreciation of what our Lord went through for us and really encourage you and, and that you can have confidence that he is still there with you and that he is there for you as our great high priest and that we can be encouraged to continue on in our Christian walk and uh, and help each other in our Christians and in their walk as well. Hey, thank you so much for listening. What a privilege it was to share God's word with you today. We pray that you were fed, strengthened, and more equipped to run the race with perseverance. To listen to more podcasts like this, make sure to subscribe. For more content from Langstaff and to connect with us, go to langstaffassembly.com. Have a blessed day and we'll see you next time.